You're listening to another episode of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. I remember the excitement I had receiving my first sideline team bag as a fellow at Vanderbilt. It was certainly a sturdy bag as I actually still have it and it's held up better than any bag I've purchased since then. It was stocked with various supplies and over the years it's seen things come and go from it. As I've gone further along in my career, I honestly use it less and less. It's more of my credibility check now as an object to have on me when covering a sports event so people know that I'm probably part of the medical team. Working with very competent athletic trainers, I rely more on their stockpile things now from their bag than mine. But I thought it would be fun as we enter another fall season of sports to see what some pediatric sports medicine colleagues have in their bag and what they find most useful and what may be just taking up space. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Today, we have a full house of guests on the pod. Four colleagues are joining me on this discussion today. First is Dr. Arvind Balaji, and he is a pediatric sports medicine physician in Tucson, Arizona. He completed medical school at the Medical College of Georgia and a pediatrics residency at Phoenix Children's Hospital. He went on to complete a pediatric sports medicine fellowship at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and he currently provides sideline coverage for two local high schools in Tucson. Dr. Corey Dean is a sports medicine physician trained in internal medicine and pediatrics at Bay State Medical Center, followed by a sports medicine fellowship at Western Michigan University, Dr. Homer Stryker School of Medicine. He has been in practice for nearly 20 years and currently serves as the medical director and associate program director of ambulatory medicine at St. Joseph's Hospital Internal Medicine Residency Program. He serves as a team physician for local high schools and universities. Dr. Jorge Gomez is a pediatric sports medicine physician at Texas Children's Hospital. He completed medical school at the University of Texas Health Science Center and a sports medicine fellowship at the University of Wisconsin. Again, go Badgers. He is currently an associate professor at the Baylor College of Medicine and has served as a team physician for high school, collegiate, professional, Olympic, and Paralympic athletes. He has also served as an elected member of the Council on Sports Medicine and Fitness for the American Academy of Pediatrics. And finally, Dr. Natalie Ronshagen. Dr. Ronshagen is a sports medicine physician and assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. She is trained in internal medicine and pediatrics and completed her fellowship in sports medicine at the University of Colorado. She is the head team physician for the College of St. Mary and a team physician for Creighton University, as well as a local high school in Omaha. She also serves as a member of the Nebraska Schools Activities Association Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for joining me tonight. As I was coming up with this podcast episode idea, it kept popping into my head that it sounded like this was going to be a game show, like what's in your sideline bag? But I think it's helpful to talk about as I know we all have somewhat different resources with where we're dealing with things, who we're dealing with, different things we cover, different levels of sports. And it may be helpful for those both old and new in the world of pediatric sports medicine of what we should stock in the bag. I think the best way to start is just letting everybody know, our listeners know, what you use for a sideline bag, as there are more than just the standard rectangular bag out there, and maybe what you like or dislike about your bag. Feel free to chime in. I received my first sideline bag in fellowship as well, and it's that classic giant rectangle bag. And it 
looks very official. It's got my name on there, MD. Again, just like you said, it gives me a little bit of clout, I think. I bring that one to some of my events where I don't know what's going to be on the sideline as much because I can pack a whole slew of things in there. But my go-to is a cute little fanny pack that I can sling over my shoulder. And it really has kind of bare minimum things, but I can run out onto the field with it. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually downsized. I started out with one of those huge bags also. And I, I downsized to, I guess, the smaller, the smaller med pack bag. It's, it's rectangular. It's about 12 by 18 by, by 10. You know, I, I remember my, my, my very, very first sideline bag was given to me as a fellow. And my very first team physician gig was covering this double A hockey team in Madison. And when, when I went there, I was it. I mean, I was, I was the, the athletic trainer. I was the, the sideline, the, the, uh, the ring physician. And I never knew what was going to happen. So, so I sort of got in the habit of just kind of stocking a little bit of everything over the years. That's, that's changed a little bit, but you know, I still try to have a, a, a little bit of everything. I'm like you. I don't probably use a lot of it anymore because we're working with such, such great athletic trainers, but you know, it's got a little bit of everything in there. You know, it's funny, Jorge, that you mentioned the incident about hockey being your first thing covering. I, I will remember fondly as a resident, I got asked to cover the Wisconsin State Hockey Championships at the old arena before they switched over to the new wonderful digs at the Kohl Center. And I was I remember Dave Bernhardt told me about and I, I think he was telling me this to just to like freak me out for a second. But he said, make sure you have an angiocath in case you need to do an emergency crike, because if someone gets hit with a puck, then, you know, that may be something you need to do. And I'm like, I've never done that before. I don't know that I'd feel comfortable doing that, but I had it in my bag. And no doubt I get there and literally within five minutes of a kid being out there on the ice, he comes over holding his throat because oh, he got hit goodness. with a puck. And fortunately, he just had a little laryngeal spasm and it calmed down after he got freaked out from that. I'm like, oh God, please don't say I'm going to have to cry within the first five minutes of doing this. But but oh I did gosh. have that angiocath in my bag. I probably would have never taken it out and done anything with it, but I did have it there. <laughs> wow. So that's yeah, a, that was my, my, my first hockey experience there. I was, oh man, I think he jinxed me for telling me that, that that was something that could happen in hockey. Terrifying way to start your oh yeah hockey covering <laughs> and as a resident and as a resident even so i hadn't even gone through fellowship at that point how about you Corey? you know i have a much different experience than all of you i i never got the kind of initiation of the sideline bag but right away i i could see the trainers you know they had all this gear and you know i wanted to be a part of the club and so i went out and i grabbed like this old bag and i just started stuffing stuff in it that i thought i needed and over the years i still have that same bag so for 22 years now i have that exact same bag that my first experience was with university of massachusetts and there's a great sports med doc named pierre rousier and pierre was mm-hmm. my first mentor in sports medicine and he basically kind of i had a similar experience he was like hey you're going to be the soccer sports medicine doc. So I was the soccer team doc and I would, you know, go to all their home games and covered with them. And, and I, I never forgot that experience of just being kind of that, that person that they turned to. I was in, like, I was totally sucked into this sports medicine gig because, you know, they, you're a part of the team. It's, you know, what we all love about sports is that team aspect. And you're a big part of that right out of the gate. How about you, Arvin? 
Yeah. So my experience is very similar to Corey's. I didn't officially get a bag really in any phase of my training, but I definitely felt like I needed that credibility check as well. And so when I was a resident and I had a great sports medicine mentor down in Phoenix who helped me throughout my career and continues to help me whenever I uh, reach out to him today, he had a great, very bona fide looking full rectangular giant bag with all the bells and whistles. And within the first couple of weeks when I was working with him, he was demonstrating to me all the things that he had in it. And I knew from then, like I needed something like this. So I went out and bought something that was a lot more collapsible because it had a lot more space. So I didn't maintain its rectangular shape, but it had all of these compartments and zippers and all these sorts of things. And I, of course, I stuffed it with just about everything you could possibly think of so that I would feel like I belonged on the sidelines, especially as a resident. I mean, you're not really fully trained yet and you need to feel like in case something happens, you're, you're ready and prepared. Yeah, very much so. I, I, I tried to maintain my credibility in that way. My Vanderbilt one was this nice little black rectangular bag at hand Vanderbilt sports medicine and embroidered on the top. So it was a very fancy bag. And again, it's, it's been a sturdy bag. I just, I've felt weird bringing it like after fellowship with Vanderbilt sports medicine on when I'm not there anymore. So I got these med pack bags when I started to take over our, our high school outreach program here in St. Louis. And those bags have not held up well, to be honest. The zippers break and they break really easy and they've been really expensive. So interestingly, in kind of going through this, preparing for this episode, I've actually ordered some new bags. I actually have decided to go to the backpack version that a lot of the medics actually use. Because I think for me, it looks like it's got kind of things that'll be a little bit better organized than this big kind of dump in the middle, even though you can put those little dividers and stuff in there. And then I'm I'm kind of doing what you do, Natalie. I've got the little smaller kind of almost like fanny pack, but shoulder pack kind of thing too, just for the more easily accessible things that I may need, just gloves and stuff like that. Because I hate having gloves just in my pockets. It just feels weird and taking them out, it's kind of awkward. And so I think just having them in a little little fanny pack and fanny packs are back apparently. They're so totally cool again. Yeah. yeah. So they're back. Why not? do it. (laughs) Since we talked a little bit about the bags and we've kind of alluded to this a little bit, I think it'd be good to just go around and and talk about what you think is the most important thing in your bag right now. Like what, what is your go-to, like what do you use most often in your bag? Maybe what you rarely use and stuff that's probably expired in there now because it's just sat in there for a while, perhaps. (laughs) And maybe something that you just recently added to your bag because you think it'd be helpful. Why don't we start with Arvind? This might be a very lame answer, and you actually just touched on it, Mark. But I would say the thing that I go through the most whenever I'm covering any event out of my bag is gloves. So I keep it stacked with gloves. That's what I go through the most of. And if you're covering a football game, or especially if you're doing wrestling events or combat sports, and you have like a pre-event skin check or anything like that, I mean, you can't have enough gloves on hand. You got to change them between athletes. You have to, sometimes you're changing them on the sidelines constantly because you have different athletes that are injured and you have to evaluate and, you know, you have to put your hands on somebody else's skin and you want there to be a protective barrier, both to protect yourself as well as the patient. So that's definitely what I use the absolute most of. Apart from that, I have a lot of probably the most standard stuff, gauze and alcohol pads and different sorts of bandages, Coban. I have a suture kit in there. I've always had a suture kit in there. I have never used it. <laughs> um, I at this point, because I was peds trained in residency, I was probably moderately good at suturing. But since there's been quite some distance between when I've had it to do that in a sort of emergency or urgent level, definitely not as proficient as I used to be. So hopefully it's not something I will need, but I do have it. The other thing I did want to mention is that in the new era of all this technology going on, there's quite a few different portable ultrasound probes that attach to different iPads and tablets and those sorts of things. And my practice in Tucson had two different brands that we had in our office that that the different providers would take when they were covering games. I used both of them. I will say that I think the biggest utility in it is looking really official on the sideline. 
Um, from a practicality <laughs> standpoint, I really, really do not think they're a replacement for just being able to observe the injury, using good clinical judgment, and doing your physical exam. Those far and away will take you where you need to go. But when you, you have a little ultrasound machine on and you've got kind of a worried athlete or something, you can, you know, throw it on there and say, hey, you know, this joint doesn't have any fluid in it. Everything looks okay. You know, see how you're doing. There was one situation where I think I actually made the diagnosis with the ultrasound. And it was a young, young man who was uh, soccer. I was covering soccer. He had a pain in the back of his hamstring, like a high hamstring pull. But when I was evaluating him, it was really bony tenderness right over the insertion of the hamstring. So I was thinking more might have been an avulsion fracture. Mm -hmm. And the ultrasound machine seemed to actually indicate that. Now, that was just fun for me to know medically in the moment because he was limping and he couldn't walk. So my, my decision making was already made for me. It wasn't very difficult for me to say, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to return. You can't run, you can't walk, and you're limping. But that is the only time that I can remember from you know the tens to maybe 50 games now when I've had it on the, on the sideline with me. It really hasn't, hasn't been useful beyond that. So I think it's a cool tool to have. I think parents especially really think it's awesome that they're the provider for their team and has some fancy tool that they can use to help. But I think practicality at this point is probably not all that useful to make any decisions. Yeah, I think unfortunately in my fellowship was five years too early to get on that bandwagon and that train. I think it's interesting. And I'm, I'm a big tech person. I, I love tech. I love technology. But I, you know, I have not gotten into the ultrasound for multiple reasons. One is I'm one of those people that if I do it, I want to get really good at it. And I don't know that I have the time to learn it and dedicate to that right <laughs> You're now. You're not going to play unless you can win. Correct. Exactly. So that's the hard part for me is that I'm one of those types of people. And I had the grandiose idea. I bought all the books and I'm like, oh, I'll sit down and I've got my colleagues here in PM&R who do it a lot and all. And it's just the time's just not there. And, yeah. Um, so that's it's an unfortunate thing because I think it's it's cool I still question, and this is another future podcast episode, is, is what is our utility using it in pediatric sports medicine as opposed to, and, and again, we can certainly, we won't talk about that today, but I think that there is probably a lot more utility in, in our older individuals necessarily than some of the things that we see in peds just because it's so bony <laughs> in what we see in peds more so than the, the soft tissue stuff. I am with Arvind a little bit on the gloves. I go through gloves like crazy. I cover state wrestling and it's disgusting. There's all sorts of yeah, <laughs> rashes absolutely. and bloody noses. And um, I go through a ton of gloves and then just like good old gauze and pen lights and pens. I also go through pens. I seem to set them down everywhere. So I have a little stash of pens in there. As far as new things that I'm putting in this year, I know I have a diabetic athlete on my football team. So I've got a glucometer going into my little pack this year. And then this is me being a little bit bougie, but I hate those stupid plastic stethoscopes. You can't hear anything out of. So I always pack my nice stethoscope, which my athletic trainer thinks is ridiculous. But the times that I've had to use it, I have been very appreciative that I can hear. Here, here. I'm all for the nice uh, ones rather than the ones that pinch your ears and <laughs> you can't hear anything on Perforate your eardrums. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Corey? So I totally, you stole my thunder now. I, the stethoscope is my go-to, right? Oh, One, sorry. <laughs> that, that has gotten me into many events where people are like, whoa, wait, who are you? What are you doing on the sidelines? <laughs> and then I pull out my stethoscope. And then I'm official. They're like, oh, okay, doc, sorry. And you get down on the field, it's no problem. So the stethoscope has saved me many a time when I forgot my badge or I forgot my identification or something. And so that's a huge help. But I think that, the, you know, the other thing that I find that I always like to have an up-to-date mouth-to-mouth mask. I've had a few rare events where that 
little red box that, you know, I check it every year that it's not broken down, that the plastic's not melted or something has really come. Like I've had two events where, you know, people in the crowd have had cardiac events that, you know, we're trying to do the full kind of, you know, code blue type of scenario in the, the field. And, you know, that, that was, again, I'm glad it's rarely used and it's the least used thing that I have, but I always like to make sure that I have, you know, an up-to-date new one. You know, one thing that I think that's it's kind of obviously COVID, COVID has changed, uh, you know, everything. I have tons of masks in my bag because sometimes <laughs> you'll get, I like to protect my residents. I always tell them that, you know, I have you here on the sideline. You're like my family and I don't want, so if there's a young man that's like being kind of a little bit belligerent and not wanting to wear a mask when we do our sports physicals or when there's a situation where, you know, I, I just basically say, look, you're wearing this mask while my resident is evaluating you because they're wearing a mask. We're doing this to protect each other. Please, you know, we, we have to do this. And so there's been a many a situation where, you know, it just is useful to have some extra masks, just like we do when we walk in the hospital. And, you know, we've got to have those extra masks at all the doors. I uh, kind of think of it like that. But you know, there's there's tons of stuff in the bag that, if I look, they're they're so outdated. I mean, I I think that I've got uh, probably expired, you know, everything in my bag, and and I'm just kind of too cheap, I guess, to replace some of it. Like my gauze, you know, it's probably if I pull it out, it's just going to crinkle and fall apart like dust. But uh, <laughs> definitely, uh, there's some things in there that are a little disorganized and probably outdated. Yeah, alluding to that, that first field bag that I got from from my fellowship director, Greg Landry, had had a pair of towel clips in there, and I was like, "What do you what do you use this for?" And then I found out, and and uh, and I've actually I don't, I don't know if it's nostalgia or whatever, but I just I, I keep I keep that in my bag just, just in case. Obviously, there's other other ways of reducing a, a sternocapicular dislocation, but it, it's it's in there. I, I don't like to wear glasses when I when I when I'm covering games. I usually wear contacts, but but in the in the era of COVID, I I've, 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 I threw in a, a pair of safety glasses, and unfortunately, I was actually I was really lucky. I found a pair of safety glasses that had that had little magnifiers at the bottom, so they're basically bifocals. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really helpful. EpiPens are so expensive nowadays, and I just said forget this. So I, I just ordered. A little vial of of, uh, of epinephrine, and I figure if, if, if worse comes to worse, I crack it open and draw it up and inject them that way. But I mean, the price of epipens is just ridiculous. A few years ago, I was really I was getting really frustrated with nosebleeds. You know, I, I had I had the little you know cotton pledges from the dentist office, and I would stick them up there. But you know, you, you stick it up there dry, and you stop you stop the bleeding. When you pull it out, the clot comes with it. Yep, because it's dry. So and then I started kind of slathering it with some skin lube, and then it, it occurred to me I had this flash of, of brilliance. I thought. I can put something on there that not only will, will keep the cloth from sticking, but also cause some vasoconstriction. So I carry a tube of pre- preparation H in my bag because it has phenylephrine in it. So I'll, I'll take the cotton pledge it out. I'll smear it with a little preparation H and, and shove it out there. And, I, and, and I'm usually sort of kind of hiding the tube I was gonna say. from the athlete so that they don't see what I'm, I'm, I'm doing. And, and occasionally I've had to, I had to reassure people that I haven't used this on anything else but somebody's nose. So, so uh, yeah. You threw me for a loop there, Jorge, because I, you know, I thought you were going to say Afrin, because that's what I use is I, I use Afrin yeah. and I spray it on the nasal rocket. And, I, I, and... Yeah, I used to use that too, but like I said, the the, the petrolatum kind of again hit, keeps the clot from sticking to the to the, the cotton, so it works pretty well for me. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of genius. I kind of love that. That is brilliant. Yeah, you need to write that up. That is a definite case report series that you need to write up. <laughs> Well, isn't preparation H is like the big thing that they use in gymnastics too for for their skin for Calluses. when they get all the yeah well yeah. no no the rips 
they use them for rips because my daughter gymnast gymnastics and she wanted to she said we got to get some preparation h dad i'm like for for what <laughs> you know i think she was you know in middle school at the time and and well we got to use it for the rips and i didn't realize that they used it for rips so it's really know. used for everything it's used for the bags under your eyes <laughs> and apparently nasal rockets apparently awesome. so apparently so well, I will, I will give you my, and I kind of echo a lot of what you guys say as far as what things you use most frequently, but my newest thing, and this is over the last year, and this has been a big hit is, and this has nothing to do with actual medicine, but medical care in a way is I will keep a bag of either Dundums or Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> so when I have to tell that athlete that I have to take them out of the game and they have to be out, I will come up to them shortly after that, after they've realized that they are not going back into play, and I will offer them some Jolly Ranchers or some Dum-Dums just to kind of take a little edge off of it, of the the sting of having to be out, and then I'm not as much of a bad guy anymore because I've given them some candy on the sideline. <laughs> That's really thoughtful. That's actually so, so that's what I started brilliant. doing this past year, and it seemed to go over very well with the football team that I cover. So I'm going to continue that uh, in upcoming years. So something to maybe think about is having your little candy. Don't, you know, stickers. I don't know about stickers, but <laughs> but the candy that goes over really well. The other thing I wanted to add is that Natalie talked about a pen light. I definitely have one of those as well. But what I also have is like a portable pocket like LED flashlight. And it has actually turned out to be really, really useful in covering Friday night football games because even though the stadium lights are bright enough for the field, as soon as you sort of walk away, it gets really, really dark, especially if the game is going late and particularly if you're on the East Coast, for example. And that LED light has helped me. It's really helped in illuminating and helping me find, you know, an injury or something that looks like a deformity or, or, or things like that. And so that, that's actually been really useful. And I would probably say that that's even more useful than having a pen light because I'm able to see a brighter, a brighter picture and, and get a better a sense of of what's going on and with our flashlights on our phones we can you can use that as a portable pen light so having a brighter led light has been really helpful because you get a bigger picture and you, you get a better evaluation yeah and I've, I've gone mostly to i've got i don't have a pen light i don't i can't even remember the last pen light i've had in my bag but but i do use the phone light frequently that's been super helpful uh looking in mouths and throats and things like that uh, if something happens for an oral trauma or, or along those lines and speaking of oral trauma do any of you have a save a tooth kit Oh, I think I do, but ah. it's way old. <laughs> so I don't know if that counts. <laughs> yeah, those are expensive, so I, I stopped. I stopped restocking those, so I don't. I don't have a save a tooth kit anymore. But I did for a long time. Just like with Jorge, I used to, you know, get myself the refill on the EpiPens every year until the cost went crazy. And so I used to have my my own set of EpiPens too. But that's it's yeah, it's unfortunate that that stuff has become cost prohibitive to have those types of things now. Inflation hitting the sideline bag. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, when I, when I was covering hockey, uh, you know, we 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 lose teeth kind of pretty pretty frequently, and, and I didn't have one of those things. And and the first time I went to the concession stand at the ice rink, I, I said, "You guys have any milk?" And they were look they looked at me like, "Dog, dog, we got we got hot dogs and beer back here, man. We don't we don't have any milk." But this but they started stocking. They, they they would start having a little thing of milk just in case we needed one. But no, I don't I don't have a saber tooth cut. I do keep a little specimen container. So that way, if we get the tooth, if I can't, if I can't physically reimplant it back in and put it back in right away, I can have that. And then I have them just spit into it with their own saliva just to have that there too. So I don't know. I haven't, and I'll, I'm going to, you know, jinx myself now, but I haven't really had any significant dental injuries on a regular basis. I did have one broken jaw at this kid. I had come to the game a little late because I had taken my kids trick or treating it was actually a, a Halloween game. And I came to the sidelines and the athletic trainer waved me over and said, here, you need to take a look at this kid. I think they, they popped out a tooth. And so I look in, I look in their mouth 
and there was a there was a hole in the back, but it's not a spot where I would typically see a tooth. And so I'm like, well, what happened? And apparently when he was in the tackle, he got punched in his jaw. So then I'm like, uh oh, so I'm thinking, well, maybe he had an open jaw fracture and it punctured through there. So I had him bite down and he was total malocluded. I mean, it was just clearly that was the case and very, very tender along his jaw. And by that point, the dad had come down to the sideline and dad's asking if I could let this kid go back into play. And I'm like, no, no, no. He needs to go get some x-rays of this jaw. And, and sure enough, he came back next week with the, the wired shut jaw and he had, he had fractured it. But so it's one of those things that, yeah, the, the save a tooth, I fortunately have not had teeth come out with the exception of when I've actually had a dentist there. And I just tell him he is my he is like he's there to bring in the tooth injuries. He's every single time. It's always basketball tournaments. Always the guys not wearing their mouth guards and the teeth get knocked out. It's always the conference tournaments. That's the only time actually in my 20 year careers that I've had actual teeth popped out during games. So at least that I know about, you know, somebody may pop them out and they don't they don't come and tell us. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will continue our discussion about sideline bags. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my focused audience of professionals interested in pediatric sports medicine, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. In today's world, time is everything. When editing podcasts... You know as well as I do, time flies. But it's not the good kind of time flying. It's the kind of time that eats a hole in your pocket. Reclaim the time you lose when you edit your podcast. Connect with The Editor Core. The Editor Core is a group of seasoned, experienced podcast editors that'll get your editing done and out the door. Use your reclaimed time to make more content. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. And we are back, continuing our discussion about what's in your sideline bag. So how about if we think about like a new sports medicine physician, what are some essential things you think that that person should really have in their bag and maybe think things that they may not think about. I mean, we've kind of alluded to some of those things as kind of like our little go-to things that are really helpful, but but maybe something else that we haven't talked about already. Well, I'm going to go old school here. And I'm going to, one thing I really think is helpful, and this is, you know, you're going to ask why, is a tuning fork. I carry a tuning fork with me on my sideline bag, and I, I use it often to kind of help to delineate some injuries, bony injuries in particular kind of use it to kind of, you know, see if there's an area that's a hot spot, if they're uh, potentially complaining of an injury along the ulna or the tibia or some kind of easily accessible bone. So I like a tuning fork. Another thing that, that I find that's really helpful, we do kind of sports physicals, uh, still do the mass physicals. They're not preferred, but just sometimes kids, some of my schools, 
are underserved and they just, this is their touch point. This is when they're seen. And so when we do that, I, I make sure I bring multiple blood pressure size cuffs because I find that the number one thing that always is kind of the catch is those blood pressures and we don't have the right gear. And so I always bring, you know, three or four different sizes of blood pressure cuffs for those different sizes of arms. I think that my biggest thing that I would say to a, a, an aspiring young sports med doc that's coming up is know your map of the AEDs. What I mean by that is I do a, a protocol with all my trainers every year and we sit down and we have an emergency plan. And so I really think this is the number one thing that I think is, is critical because we've had, unfortunately, a couple of, of sudden death events in our sports kind of venues that I cover. And, you know, without that preparation, it could have gone much worse. I mean, I think that they did an outstanding job and it was just sometimes things just don't work out. But, you know, their time to get to the AED and the time to get that on the athlete and you know, those things really mattered. And so I just always, always kind of talk about that map and that emergency plan. So just out of curiosity, how many of you actually own your own AD? Anybody? No, I 100% hope that the athletic trainer has stuck with our plan and has one accessible yeah. at, the, at the spot that we agreed on prior to the season. I've been very tempted and the costs have come down significantly, but I still haven't bit the bullet yet and gotten my own one. But uh, boy, I just, you know, just having that, regardless of whether it's a sports event, you know, if you run into something that's an event on on, on the road, boy, I, it's it's really tempting to, to consider investing in one, especially, like I said, with the costs coming down. But but yeah, I haven't got one. So no one, no one has one yet. So I agree. I, no. I certainly rely on the AT and certainly knowing where that is. I think that is one of the crucial checkboxes when you get to an event is where's my nearest AT? AD? Is it not locked up in the school or is it, is it, is it near you with the athletic trainer? I think is always important. Well, stethoscope, I already said that one that you like, one that that you can hear out of, one that you're used to. I think that's helpful. Again, it's not one that I use very often, but when I do need to use a stethoscope on the sideline, adrenaline's kind of tends to be a little bit higher and to not have to worry that I'm just can't rely on my equipment. I think having a stethoscope you like is nice. And then the other thing, and you, we've all been alluding to having a great athletic training teams, but knowing what they have makes a huge difference as to what I've decided to bring. So the events where I bring my big bag are really the ones where I don't know the athletic trainers well, or it's going to be a mass event. So I don't know if I'm going to have good access to their kit, but they're going to have gauze that's not 20 years old. They're going to have, <laughs> you know, they're going to have Coban that actually comes apart without getting, being all glued together. But if they don't, I need to know that so that I can go steal some stuff from the supply closet. I think something that I wasn't anticipating as I was coming out of fellowship in preparing for, and I, I think technically it does go in your sideline bag, is radiographic standing orders. And so what I mean by that is, that I've had situations where, you know, most of the football games for the high school level are at Friday night. And a lot of times they have injuries that, you know, you've used your best judgment and you're sure that this injury probably deserves an x-ray, but it's not emergent. Like you don't need to ask the family to immediately take their child to the emergency room that night, wait in the waiting room and get an x-ray and then potentially have it interpreted by somebody who probably isn't the best at reading musculoskeletal x-rays. I mean, you really don't know exactly what kind of care they're going to get a lot of times. Instead of that, saving all that headache, something we ended up doing down in Tucson is we developed a relationship with some imaging companies and we ended up having an agreement where we could have some like standing x-ray orders of different joints, the most common joints that we would want x-rayed. And we had situations where 
the next day, Saturday, they had certain hours from nine to 12, for example, where we could instruct the parents to take the child and say, hey, you don't need to get an x-ray tonight. I really don't think clinically it's absolutely necessary, but it would be great to get an x-ray. So here are these orders. You can go to this place and they can image exactly what we need and we can do it comfortably tomorrow morning. You know, until then, we'll keep it in this support. We'll let you take ibuprofen, Tylenol. Here is a return precaution. Certainly, you know, you lose neurovascular integrity. That those are reasons to go to the ER right away. But you know, we've had a chance to examine him multiple times. It's been more than an hour. Like it, this doesn't seem to be a serious injury. And I think that that's that's been great for two things. One, you really utilize your medical resources in your community in a good way. I think that's obviously very important. That's of course superseded by the patients care. If they need an emergent x-ray, they should absolutely go and get one. And if you are, I would say for newer trainees, it's better to err on the side of caution and overutilize resources earlier on in your career because you want to protect the patient and your duty is to them first and foremost. But in those situations where you want to save the parents, you know, sometimes those parents have driven hours just to be at the game and you're asking them to take several more hours out of their evening to go somewhere and then drive several hours home, that's a lot. Some of these parents aren't getting home until you know 2 a.m., 3 a.m. It's really difficult on the family. So being kind of a steward of your medical resources in this way can really help you provide effective care for the athlete while also you know earning some, some points with the parents because they're going to really remember the doctor that organized things for them in a way that was both suitable for their, for their child and also suitable for, for their family needs as well and their personal life as well. So just out of curiosity, are you, you know, those patients that you talked about that are from further away, are you following up on those directly? Yeah. So those get, because of our relationship, those get, I, I give them a business card as well, which is going to be the other thing I said, so that they know to get in contact with me. And we have, I get all the patient's information if I'm going to give them a standing order and we have direct virtual access to the to the imaging center we send them to. So we're able to look at the pictures, we're able to see the radiology read right away, and then we call, obviously we'll call the family and, and discuss the results based on what we see. Corey and Harvind and Natalie have provided some really good advice. I was just thinking, what else? Um, I, I, have a, I have an eye kit in my bag that I think has actually really <laughs> saved some Friday nights and some Saturday nights for people. You know, people get poked in the eye and you're wondering, when does this, does this person have a corneal abrasion or not? You know, it makes, makes a difference between whether they continue to play or, or, or you have to hold them out. So my in my kit, I have uh, some fluorescein strips. I just use the, the sterile saline to wet them. Soft eye patches that have rigid eye, uh, rigid eye uh, shields and a little a little bottle of uh, octobromycin um, ophthalmic drops. But yes, had, just having that and then, then you know, using the, using the otoscope, the green light on the otoscope to, to light up the fluorescein really, has really been helpful in a lot of cases where I can say, okay, listen, Think, uh, I don't see anything. You, know, you, you can go back in. So, just out of curiosity, so you've you've alluded to a couple things medicine wise that you have in your bag, Jorge. You've got preparation H. We know <laughs> <laughs> you've got stuff for your eye kit. What other medicines do you keep in your kit? Uh, you know, epinephrine. Well, you mentioned, yeah, epi, yeah. Uh, I, I keep some uh, some diphenhydramine in there for you know for the, the same reason, and I and I and I carry some ibuprofen and Tylenol with me. You know, usually if, if it's uh, if, if if we're at home. And if someone's really kind of achy, I'll, I'll, I'll walk over to the, the stands and ask the parent, hey, do you mind if he, he wants something for pain, do you mind if I give him some ibuprofen? So I, I carry some of that with me also. I, I do as well. Anybody else have any other medicines that they have in their kits? You know, I like albuterol in my, my kit. So mm-hmm. I use albuterol. Yeah. I, I make sure that that one's there too. Yeah, I got one of those also. I don't know if you count this as a medicine, but we've got gummy snacks. and. Mm-hmm apple juice for our diabetic that's in there now. 
Yeah, I've got a, a tube of uh, of cake icing. Yep, that I keep in there. Cake icing. I used to have the the little glucose tablets, but then I just got sweet tarts instead. They're cheaper. <laughs> but those uh, those glucose tabs are kind of tasty too. So, <laughs> out of curiosity, how often we've talked a lot about like the the crumbling gauze after twenty years. So, how often do you guys actually go through uh, and uh, look at your bags to refresh it? I'll start with you, Jorge. Yeah, you know, I, I've learned the hard way that when you when you don't do that. It, 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 you you always pay for it, or somebody else pays for it. So uh, before I go to any event, I, I go I go through the bag, and, and you know, on, on in the fall, that's 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 you know every Friday afternoon. And if I'm in the clinic, I'll just restock restock it there. I do have a um, a mouth guard that's probably 25 years old <laughs> that I've never never had to use. You know, I, I and the, you know I kept it as a, as a spare in case somebody needed one. But you know, the athletic trainers have them, so. Probably ought to toss that thing out. I mean, it's useful if you need somebody to bite on something while you're amputating. <laughs> How about Arvind? Gosh, I don't know. That would imply you have not gone through your bag to refresh it yet. Yeah, I, I don't think I've refreshed it in, I'm trying to remember. It's been since the end of fellowships, it's been a couple of years. It's been a couple of years. I What I've done, what I've t- taken the advantage of doing is actually speaking with the athletic trainers in the summertime before fall sports start. And I coordinate with them and figure out, you know, what's everything you have because I don't want to, you know, significantly overlap with what you have because that's just sort of a waste of resources. But yeah, to be honest, you caught me. I haven't probably haven't refreshed it other than gloves and expendable things like gauze. I probably haven't refreshed it in quite a while. But I also don't have too many things in there that expire too quickly. A lot of stuff is sort of unit packaged and it hasn't been, it's pretty much hermetically sealed and there's nothing in there that would wither away. And a lot of the topical stuff I have in there is still good for, for a while. But yeah, I haven't, I probably haven't refreshed it in a couple of years now. Yeah, I'm guilty as charged too. I, I think that I, I, you know, if I think back, there's stuff in there that literally has been there for 20 years. I try to replace the things that like you, we've all alluded to that we use all the time, gloves and masks and, you know, albuterol. I try to look at my meds because they become outdated and I just always want, but I, I don't do it enough. You know, I, I need to do it more often. This, I've actually been taking notes of all these great ideas that you guys have given me on, on this podcast already. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking to, to kind of spruce mine up a little bit. There you go. My Friday night fanny pack is, uh, I look at that every Friday, but it's pretty minimal stuff in there again. So it's really just making sure that I've, I'm checking the box to make sure I have everything that I want. That big bag has a lot of old stuff in it. When I have a big event, I try and go through before the big event, but that's maybe once a year. And then my partner and I do a an order at the beginning of the year too. And so that gives me a little bit of a reminder. Okay, you're getting EpiPens for the schools. So I need to also restock a few things. And so that's been helpful too. Guilty as charged as well as far as the actual, I've got stuff there that I know has been there since I put the bag together for sure. I'm actually glad I've got this new backpack thing going on because that will give me an excuse that I actually have to purge some stuff. It's a really good excuse to purge and really kind of just say, yeah, I've never used that. I don't think I'm going to put that back in the bag. 
And then, of course, the, the next game I go to, I will want it. But right. That's kind of Murphy's law there. But but yeah, I think the, the, the big thing is just uh, it's always restocking. You know, if I use something, then I'll certainly restock it. I think the only things that I really have to ever restock because I have way too much of gauze and gloves and all that kind of stuff is the rare occasion when I have used a suture kit. And, and I've done that on occasion on the sidelines. I think families appreciate that when you get to do that. They kind of look at you a little weird, but I think they appreciate not having to go to the ER for it. Yeah. Uh, if you could do it and it's something that's a really simple lack to repair. And I, I've always enjoyed doing simple lack repairs, but I found out the hard way that, that, um, that athletic tape goes bad. Yeah. <laughs> I was cover. I have this little private school that I cover. And when I, when I go there, I'm, I'm, I'm it. And this guy, you know, hit, he, he had a sprained ankle and I, he said, can you tape it up for me? I said, sure. And I was, I had this old roll of tape in there and I was trying to, <laughs> trying to undo it. And I was so, he was really frustrated. I was totally embarrassed. And, and from then on, I made sure I have fresh tape in there. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing as you go through, you think these things, oh, these things will last forever. And then you start using them after you haven't used them for a while. You're like, yeah, these really do not last for a long time. I remember who alluded to the the crushed up Coban. I think it was you, Natalie. Yeah. But but yeah, I've had several rolls of Coban in my bag that have gotten all squished together and you try yeah. and pull them apart and they're not going anywhere. It's like having that bag of gummy bears you leave in the hot car and then they're all just one big congealed mess of gummy. And that's kind of how Coban gets after a while. It's not fun. So good thing to replace. And then finally, just out of curiosity, do you guys always bring your bag with you to everything you cover? Or are there sometimes where you just say, eh, I'm going to leave the bag at home? I take it to everything. The biggest events, I, I, maybe I should clarify. The events that I find myself needing the bag the most would be sideline football games at the high school level, as well as wrestling and combat sport events. And I think those are probably the things that I'm most involved in that make the most sense. There was a couple of times I helped cover like a three-on-three Special Olympics basketball tournament, which I definitely would have needed the bag, but there was so much additional medical coverage with athletic trainers and EMS with me that we were really well stocked without additional equipment. And then for mass events like like marathons and those sorts of things, it seems like most of the other medical professionals that are helping in coverage of the event have a lot of the equipment and the equipment that's up to date that we need. So I felt like my bag has been superfluous in those situations. But usually if I'm the one that's going to be the primary person that's going to be covering an event that con- consists of athletes, uh, several athletes, I usually take it with me. Sometimes I leave it in the car because I realize I probably don't need it, but I definitely have it with me in my person somewhere. Yeah, I take mine with me everywhere. And I, I learned, learned the hard way. You know, the one or two times I leave it at home or leave it in the car, you, you wind up needing it and I, I just take it everywhere. Jorge takes it to the grocery store. You could. Have you seen have you seen me? <laughs> <laughs> I, how, I think how did I, you know that? <laughs> I do bring it with me to all events, and most of the time it just sits under the athletic trainer's little fold out table that they have on the sidelines mm-hmm. uh, as kind of my little my little perch for it. But I, I do bring it for one important reason is that the athletic trainers generally don't have meds. You know, even if they have everything else, all the gauze, all the Coban, all everything else that I possibly have in my bag and my bag is redundant for that, I know that they're not going to typically be stocking the Tylenol and ibuprofen because technically they're not supposed to. So I I think that's where I I keep it just so in case I I need access to the various meds that I have in my bag. Yeah, I'd echo that same thing, Mark. I I think that... Mine's perched right there underneath the table, and you know, I have it there for access. But usually, I, you know, I'm using the ATC's bags. Yeah, I'm the same. Though some of, like I said, some of the events that I cover, I have a much smaller bag than other events. 
especially now that I have my dum dums or my uh, my Jolly Ranchers, I have to have a spot I can hide those. Because if I left it in a bag just under the table, they would be gone by the end of the game without being judicious who I'm dispensing them to. So we finally will end our podcast with a feature we call the Pearl of the Podcast. I'll let each of you have a moment to give your own pearl about what you think is important about the sideline medical bag. And this can be anything. And we'll we'll start with Natalie. I've brought up the stethoscope a couple of times, and I think people forget about it, but I like it. So bring one. Corey? Yeah, this is a quirky one, but I have business cards. And Arvin, you said this, and I was I hope I didn't steal your thunder, but my big thing is about the community connections. Before I start any event, I go and introduce myself to all the EMTs, all the ATCs, and just make sure that we're all kind of, I know where they're at, they know where I'm at. And I tend to obviously use business cards that I can give to the kids and the families and so they know how to follow up with me. And if I meet somebody new, I tend to kind of do that too, just so that we can make these community connections. The biggest thing that drew me to sports medicine was the sense of kind of I'm helping my community. I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And I've just really enjoyed that part. And this kind of just fosters that. So, you know, as as quirky as it sounds, that business card, it really goes a long ways to kind of build a hand to people. Right. One thing that I've learned and that I think is really helpful, not only from a a care delivery standpoint, but also sort of from the standpoint of of, of what what you present to the public is you, you really need to organize your bag. It, it, it needs to be really well organized when you take it with you because it looks really bad to flip open your bag and start rifling through stuff. And, you know, you can't find something that you need. No, make sure that everything is really well organized. You've got stuff in Ziploc bags because, uh, you know, again, you, you don't otherwise you come off, come off with kind of like a, a goofus, I guess. Um <laughs> Just yeah, Corey, I think. Did you I, come I, to Michigan and see me get into my bag or something, or what? What happened? <laughs> I, I mean, that's exactly what I. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, again, it it it, just, it it looks bad, but it, I mean, it also it, it, it helps because in, in in the heat of the moment, you want to be able to find what you need to find. Arvin. Yeah, Corey, that was definitely what I was going to say, but that's okay. That's totally okay. I agree with everything you said. I think having easily accessible, legible, and professional appearing business cards are massively helpful to delivering good care on the sidelines. And I totally agree that being able to hand those out to parents, uh, to patients that you're seeing from in terms of their athletes and finding a way to coordinate follow-up to make sure that they're recovering properly or whatever their injury is, that gets the right diagnosis and that sort of stuff is is massively helpful. And I think from a customer service standpoint, which is a secondary point, parents really appreciate that, that you are invested in the out- outcome of their child. I think that it goes a long way. Um, I think my answer I would give is would be a little bit more philosophical. And I think from a Pearl standpoint, really great communication is probably the best thing that you can provide on the sideline. And what I meant by that is um, an anecdote that I have towards probably the middle of my fellowship experience, I was covering a high school football game on a Saturday afternoon, which I still remember really vividly. And right before the game, the athletic trainers and I like talked about, okay, where's EMS going to be? Where are the AEDs? You know, we went through a little checklist of figuring out, all right, where's everything that we need? What's someone's job going to be if we have a catastrophic injury? Okay, you are going to do this. You're going to do that. I'm going to do this, et cetera. And sure enough, partway through the first quarter, the star running back for the team gets tackled in the backfield, kind of a high-low tackle, had his foot planted and had a pretty bad... It wasn't open, but pretty significant lower extremity fracture, tibia, fibula, and it 
gross deformity, significant pain. You know, it, it was one of those moments like you see sometimes in the NFL when a patient, when, a, when an athlete has a really bad injury, everybody sort of disperses because they're so shocked at what they're seeing. It was one of those moments. And so we all rushed on there. And because of our preparation and our communication, one person was alerting EMS. Another person was making a makeshift splint for the patient. Another one was getting the family. And then my job was to assess neurovascular integrity, make sure that there wasn't any other secondary injury to watch out for, make sure we didn't need to to manage the C-spine, clear those sorts of things. And then I helped coordinate with EMS. I called the Children's Hospital ER, told them to prepare for the patient, and everything went about as well as you could possibly go. It happened in, the, in probably six minutes elapsed in the first quarter. And by the end of the game, he was getting x-rays in the ER, and then he had ended up having surgery later that evening. Coming up with that plan with the team that you have around you and identifying roles and, and working through the scenario before it happens is probably the most effective way at providing good care to all of the athletes that you're going to see. And that's kind of the biggest pearl that I would, I would hand over. And that's a great endorsement for making sure that you have put together and reviewed an emergency action plan for your venues. Can't stress that part enough. And, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with Arvin there that if you're, if you're sending someone in and you know where EMS is going to take them, do the courtesy and just take that quick second to call that, that ER and just let them know the heads up of what's going on, what you saw and what you're worried about, because that can totally grease the wheel so that they're not starting blind with, well, all right, this person's here with a leg injury. Well, what's going on? If you let them know ahead of time, you're coming in with an open tib fib fracture that brings the radar up uh, that much bigger degree, or I've got a dislocated shoulder that we couldn't reduce on the sidelines. And this is what we're, we're sending in. So I think that communication definitely is a, a big key for that. I'd really like to thank each of our guests today for their willingness to take the time and share with each of us a little bit about what is crucial or maybe not so crucial for the team position bag. And be sure to get your preparation H for this fall. Um, be sure to check out our entire podcast library at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. We'd love your feedback and appreciate all feedback, supportive and constructive. Follow us on Twitter at PedSportsPod. And I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.